Thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Welcome to today's Christmas edition of God, Law, and Liberty. And today, I hope to draw a connection between the Christmas story and a new video that's been put out by Pastor Jeff Durbin in Arizona, who heads uh, the abortion, End Abortion Now movement, uh, that uh, talks about um, the critical issue preventing the abolition of abortion in the United States. But before I go there, I want to make two quick announcements, the first of which is that the Ezra Institute that you can find on the uh, Fight, Laugh, Feast Network and at other places is hosting in Dayton, Tennessee, which is between Chattanooga, I guess you could say, and Knoxville, if you're not generally familiar with the area. I think it's closer to Chattanooga, actually, on the uh, Bryan University campus, a worldview training seminar in Leadership Academy for those that are 14 to 18 years of age. And uh, having listened to some of their podcasts and being familiar with some of their work, I would uh, encourage you who are parents to think about sending your children for a week. There are various scholarships and college credit and other things that you can get. But uh, if you want more information, just go to the Ezra Institute's website, and you can get more information about it there. Uh, secondly, and on a personal note, if you'll um, give me that privilege here in a more public podcast to say that I just learned yesterday, uh, which is actually a couple of days from earlier than today's podcast, that a dear special friend of mine uh, at the age of 88 was ushered into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ on the 19th of December, and uh, her name is Lil Coker. She was preceded in death by her husband, Harold Coker, and they were both very active in Chattanooga and Hamilton County, where I'm from and where I served in the state Senate. Um, they, they were very active in politics there and were very much a great encouragement to me as a young man who at 36 years of age decided to run against a 26-year incumbent Republican and throughout my uh, term of 12 years of service and thereafter. So they've been special and dear friends to me for uh, near nearly 30 years. And I am delighted, though saddened, for myself and her family that she has beheld the glory that I know she was longing to see. And... Uh, I'm thankful to God for that family and for Harold and Lil and the encouragement that they were to me. Any of you who run for office at some day, uh, you'll need friends like Harold and Lil Coker. And may God be gracious to grant them to you. It will be a blessing. Well, Moving aside and regaining a little bit of my composure, 
I want to talk about this new video that's come out. You can find it on YouTube. It's entitled, The Fatal Flaw, Lies, Laws, and Pro-Life Deception. But I want to talk about it through the lens of the Christmas story. And I want to say this, that as much as I agree with Pastor Durbin and others in the video, that the mother who commits an abortion has sinned, and has committed a crime, I think there is a gospel issue at stake that I see in the video that I believe must be considered lest the labor toward ending abortion be in vain. Now, we might say that none of our work in the Lord is ever in vain, and in fact, God uses the work of all of his saints, including our foibles, to accomplish his purposes because that's what God can do right? Uh, but I have been on the end of the stick where things that I've worked hard to enact, laws that I had good intentions for, that if they passed, they would produce certain positive and good effects, were in fact nullified, either because the law was never enforced, because of a Supreme Court ruling, or was rendered unenforceable by a Supreme Court ruling, or, or for other reasons. For instance, those in charge of enforcing the laws exercise the constitutional prerogatives belonging to either the administrative or the judicial branch not to enforce them. So we can enact laws. And if, for instance, in this case, prosecutors won't administer the law, then it the question would be, what have we gained? And I'm not saying there's nothing gained, but I think we need to consider that. And particularly, if nothing is gained that we would anticipate, and in the process, we've obscured, in some ways, the gospel, or are found to be thinking wrong about the gospel. It's hard to bring this subject up, because it's easy to be taken as, so you think you know more than I do, and I don't know anything about the gospel, except as has been revealed in the pages of scriptures and applied to me by the Holy Spirit and by the works of great theologians or theologians greater than I. But, but whenever there's a tension or a conflict in the body of Christ, I think we, we would do well to say this too is of the Lord. All things, it says in 2 Corinthians 4, are for your sake. So, Rather than return to our corners and um, spit nails at each other or as uh, someone, well, I won't even go there, uh, or, or, or speak pejoratively of those in the other camp, we should say, Lord, is there something here for all of us, for the good of all of us? And, and that's what I'm trying to probe in this episode. I may not get all through it today. Um, because it is weighty, and it's serious, and it needs to be explained carefully and fully, and I hope hope to do that. So um, the, the video itself starts with this statement by Pastor Durbin, and I'm quoting here. What you're about to view is an unveiling of what the main issue is, that is keeping abortion alive in this nation. Now, that's a 
That's a very serious statement, too, right? The main issue that's keeping abortion alive in the nation. And and we're going to look at what the video reveals in a moment uh, and, and why he gives this charge. Uh, and, and then he proceeds to say, let's work together as the church to expose actually the heart of the issue, the inconsistency, the unbiblical thing that is keeping it alive. So I'm taking him up on his offer to say, let's work together as a church to think about what's really at the heart of the issue and whether there's any unbiblical thinking or inconsistency taking place in what we're saying or doing. Now, as it turns out, the context for what I think really is the main issue and the most important issue is is revealed in the reasons for the conflict between those in the video and those within the abortion establishment, which I think is an appropriate name for those who opposed even the heartbeat bills until they saw they were going to pass anyway. And, and that conflict rests in the opposition of those parts of the abortion establishment to going beyond making healthcare providers subject to a civil law crime and also making the mother subject to a civil law crime. Now, before I go further, let me explain why I said civil law crime. And I use that term because I believe those on both sides of this debate about criminalizing the mother believe that even if a civil law, which is simply, for my purposes, an enacted law, even if a civil law has not been broken, the mother has broken the law of God. And I appreciate that Pastor Durbin and those in the video uh, realize that and care about that. And in that sense, the mother has committed a crime, though I'd say not primarily in regard to her child, but against God. And and why do I put the nature of the crime in that order? And it's because only God can give or promulgate a law that is binding on the conscience of all persons at all times and in all places. Only God can give us an immutable, not-to-be-broken-or-modified-or-abrogated law. Man can't do that. So whether it's ever a crime in the laws of civil society, it is a crime in the eyes of God. Now, central to my analysis of what follows in this video is my understanding of what the Bible says the central aspect of the Christmas story is, and therefore, my understanding of what is central to the gospel, what the gospel is. And I would submit that if we disagree here, then the problem in the Christian pro-life community is far bigger than whether we criminalize or don't criminalize a mother because the gospel is what informs our understanding of everything and how we go about doing everything and the reasons for why we go about doing them. So let me offer what I see as the Christmas story. 
And now I'm reading from a commentary I wrote for the Family Action Council of Tennessee that was published online on December 22nd. If you want to read the whole thing, it's entitled uh, Don't Let the the Fauci Grinches Steal Your Christmas. But this is an excerpt from it. The Christmas story presents us with the claim that God has made human beings in such a way that he, who is incorporeal in his essence, uh, spirit, could inhabit them and in doing so, begin to transform them into beings who individually and as part of a larger whole, humanity in general, could eternally participate in the indissoluble love of pure and unconflicted devotion that exists in the very nature of God in the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Think of it. A God who is not reducible to an abstract proposition, but is personal because he exists in perfect unity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and who eternally lacks nothing, meaning he didn't, doesn't, and won't ever lack anything, especially the kind of love we would crave if we could think beyond orgasmic pleasure and selfishly turning in on ourselves, chooses to create. A God like that who chooses to create so he could share that love with those he creates and they could share in his love. This is the greatest conception of God ever expressed. It's the greatest offer ever made. But that's not all. This incarnational love of God is transformative precisely because it's not tinctured or tainted by our creaturely frailties. And that is so because the flesh and human nature taken on by the Son of God in the person of Jesus was formed in the womb by God not a man or a woman, as imperfect creatures. Mary's virginity serves to make this point dramatically and unequivocally. And then when by the Holy Spirit we are joined to Jesus, we can receive from the outflow of his perfect humanity the kind of love we humans can't gin up on our own. And, and I have to think, even as I wrote those words, when, when that is grasped, and I'll speak to how it's grasped in a moment, how could we not, like the angels who announced Jesus' birth, shout, glory to God in the highest? I mean, wow. It would seem to naturally pour forth. And if it doesn't, maybe that's an indication of how much of the glory of God we've seen in the face of Christ. And, and in fact, that's actually how I now define the promulgation and the effect of the gospel. And I take it from 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 6. In verse 5, Paul writes, We preach Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, as your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. And why is that? He explains that in verse 6. Here's the key. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God 
in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, before we get on to the rest of the analysis of this video, we need to pause here and think about this analogy Paul's giving us and its relationship to what he preaches about Jesus Christ because it's going to help us interpret what I think is the gospel issue flaw in some of what I heard in the fatal flaw video. The word here translated commanded in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 is the same word used in the Greek version of the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 1 to describe what God did in bringing forth all that's on the face of the earth, namely, and God said. That word said is the same word that's used in 2 Corinthians when it says the God who commanded the light to shine, okay, out of darkness. And, and here's the key. Christian doctrine without this is a Christianity that goes down the tubes. He created out of nothing. He did not draw anything out of anything else. He didn't coax light into existence. He didn't draw it out of the darkness. In fact, we're told that God created the heavens, which is the abode of the angels, it's the spiritual realm, and the earth. But as respects the earth, we're told the earth was formless and void. And again, the the Greek words that are used there uh, in the Greek version of the Old Testament mean there's a nothingness there and a useless to no purposeness there. In other words, it, it would be, I don't even know what to compare it to about the significance of an ant to us. And, and of course, we see some of that kind of language in in. Uh, Isaiah, don't we? You know, where he says the nations are like just a drop of sand in a bucket to God. And it's in that same way that God commanded the light to shine into darkness, that it is out of our nothing righteousness, our voidness of righteousness. Persons dead in sin and trespasses, not just on a respirator needing a little help and not just misshapen and in need of improvement, like, like the need for a cast to be applied to a broken limb, but it's out of our utter darkness in relation to God that God did with us what he did in his first act of creation, namely commanding something to come into existence that did not yet then exist, namely shining in our heart and a knowledge in our heads of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And of this glory, John Owen wrote the following about Jesus' prayer to the Father in the upper room recorded in John chapter 17, verse 24. Notice what Jesus prays. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me... Now look, 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 look how that relationship got developed there. The Father has given to Jesus. May be with me where I am for a reason, that they may behold my glory, which you've given to me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
Owen continues, Beholding of the glory of Christ is one of the greatest privileges and advancements that believers are capable of in this world, or that which is to come. It is that whereby they are first gradually conformed into it, and then fixed in the eternal enjoyment of it. For here in this life, beholding his glory, they are changed or transformed into the likeness of it. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And hereafter they shall be forever like unto him, because they shall see him as he is. Again, quoting now 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Here on, Owens writes, do our present comforts and future blessedness depend. This is the life and reward of our souls. Not that we'll be able to bounce from here to there and go through walls and all those things, but that we will behold the risen Jesus, the Son of God, in all of his glory as he is. And so Owen writes further, For being once touched by the love of Christ, receiving therein an impression of secret, ineffable virtue, they will ever be in motion and restless until they come into him and behold his glory. I can't speak for every man, but I remember the restlessness towards my wedding day. And and the and the moment that I saw the doors of the back of the church open, and there was my wife in her radiance and her her white gown, and whoa. And 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 that's that's why I think, you know, in part God gives us the, the example of the church and the bride. I mean, if you're a groom, you ought to have experienced that. You should have been sitting down at the front of the church with your heart pounding saying, this is what I've always waited for. This is, this is the, the beginning of the end of the consummation of a, of a wonderful love. And, and, of course, you find out later, as I have after 42 years, you didn't even know what love was when, when you began. But still, there was something there, and you moved from a glory of love unto a glory of love. And, and he says, so the soul which can be satisfied without it, without seeing by faith this glory, and that cannot be eternally satisfied with it. In other words, if you have to be able to disappear and hear animals talking and see all your loved ones and all that other stuff, well, he says, is not a partaker of the efficacy of this intercession. In other words, this prayer has failed on you so far. If there's something else about heaven, you want more than seeing the glory of the risen and resurrected Christ. And so I ask, is that the way we think of the Christmas story? Is that the way we think of the glory that it presents to us? Is, is that the way we think of the gospel? And is that the way we present the gospel? Now, with those questions in mind about the Christmas story, let's turn to the video. The fatal flaw. And look, not just at the immediate problem being articulated 
enacting a statute criminalizing the woman involved in an abortion or opposition to it, but also the reason given by some in the video for why its enactment is so important. Why not passing this statute keeps abortion alive in our nation. Now, again, I guess I should say before I do this, let me say I'm not speaking to whether a law should be enacted that imposes criminal sanctions against the woman. I'm not speaking to that. Nor am I speaking to how any such statute should be drafted. I have ideas on that. But at this point, I think they are of secondary importance for the pro-life community because I think it's the very nature of the gospel that I seeing but being put forth that's at issue in this video, and to me, it's of first importance. Now, to the disclosure of the gospel issue, and, and to help it become perhaps more clear, I want to ask some questions before I conclude today's episode with the help of present-day theologian Sinclair Ferguson and 19th century Scottish preacher Robert Haldane. Uh, somebody perhaps not familiar to many of us, but his teaching and exposition of Romans in Geneva in the 19th century revived the gospel among a generation of Genevans who had been influenced by Voltaire and Rousseau and Cartesian philosophy, which pretty much describes America at this point too. And that's why I think they're important. So here's the first question. If Christians could enact the laws that criminalize every sin, or, you know, let's be less ambitious, even all the big ones like murder, stealing, adultery, lying under oath, would that constitute America a righteous nation from God's perspective? Might be a far better place to live, let's say, but would it constitute us a righteous nation? If we're going to be Christian nationalists, do we want to see America just have laws like that, or do we want to see America become more righteous? Now, in answer to that question, except for the Pharisees and the rich young rulers among us, I hope we'd all agree the answer to that question is no. I mean, those big sins that I listed were the ones the rich young ruler said he had not committed. And, and notice, Jesus didn't even challenge him on that point, though I'm sure he could have if we understand the Sermon on the Mount. Yet the rich young ruler turned away from Jesus because of a command he couldn't bear to hear. And we're going to look at that in a moment because that command is why abortion, I believe, will remain alive no matter what criminal laws we enact. And again, not saying we shouldn't enact laws, but I'm trying to get at the point made at the beginning, what really keeps abortion alive? Is it what we think it is? And related to the question of criminalizing sins, or at least the biggest ones, here's a second question. Would the criminalization of all sins, or at least all the big ones, bring people to Christ? And maybe here there's even a deeper question I would suggest. Do we bring ourselves to Christ? Or does Christ, by the Holy Spirit, according to the eternal plan and purposes of God the Father, bring people to himself? In other words, 
Are we going to take seriously the word of Jesus recorded in John 6, 44? No one can come to me. What, what I would call a universal negative. It just ain't possible. Unless, Jesus continues, the Father who sent me draws him, which is an act of the Father on his own part. And, and I think that's what Paul's referring to in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, when he uses the creation of light as the analogy to what the, the promulgation and effect of the gospel is. It's the glory of, of Christ springing into our hearts and minds in such a captivating way that he alone is what we most long for, as was put by the Apostle Paul in chapter 1 of his letter to the uh, Philippians, when he says, you know, dying is actually gain, not not something to be feared. And again, in chapter 3, everything else is trash, dung, compared to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Is that what we see the gospel being and the effect of the gospel in our desire to be gospel persons? And the third and last question is this. Is it first seeing our sin that turns us to Christ, or is it first seeing the glory of Christ that allows us to see our sin? Now, that's a critical gospel question. And as Paul makes clear in Galatians, there can be a true gospel and a false gospel masquerading as the true gospel. So this is serious business I'm coming to. And if I'm wrong, then listeners, uh, let me know. And, and let's talk about it on a Zoom call or something else at some other point. Uh, because I think we've got to get at what really the main issue is that fuels abortion. And I'm going to submit it is not whether we criminalize mothers for being involved in abortion. But I can also see that I'm at about 30 minutes already, which is the length of a normal episode. So I'm going to have to have you left hanging until next week when I come back to what is said by one of the women who'd had an abortion that's interviewed in this video and to statements by a pastor, Brian, in Louisiana and another member of the End Abortion Now team because I believe the issue with abortion is far deeper than we think it is the sin needing to be confessed is far greater than admitting to murder. And the understanding of the gospel turns the gospel on its head. And if you're interested in learning more about that, then I hope you'll join me for the next episode of God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. 
And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Back Tennessee.